0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. My name is Mark Sennett. I'm CEO of Western Business Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters magazine. You can see all the latest news in the health and safety sector from across the UK on our website, which is www.hsmsearch.com. We're delighted that this edition of the podcast is once again sponsored by the Health and Safety event. And as you may have seen this week, the event has now been moved to the 27th and 28th of April 2021 at the NEC in Birmingham. If you'd like to attend the event, you can register for free now. All you need to do is go to the website www.healthandsafetyevent.com. So as always, we start off with the news. And actually, kind of what I just said in your introduction is big news this week. Two major exhibition organisers in the health and safety sector have announced that due to COVID-19, they're going to have to move their events to next year health and safety events I mentioned a moment ago, that is no longer taking place in September. It's moving to 27th and 28th of April, 2021. This is after it was initially moved back from April earlier this year. So it's been a really, really torrid time for event organisers. And I've been involved in organising events for years and I, in fact, still helped do the content for that event. Health and Safety Matters magazine runs a theatre there. And this is really sad news. Obviously, it's completely understandable, and I I support the decision that 19 Group have made for this and Informer for that matter over at Safety and Health Expo. It must have been a really tough decision to make, I'm sure, but they've certainly prioritised the health and safety, no pun intended, there of any of the attendees and exhibitors. You know, the health and safety event has come on leaps and bounds and is looking to almost be double the size next year when it takes place at the NEC in Birmingham. So, you know, we're grateful for their continued support. And I'd certainly encourage, as I said earlier, to go to their website and check out just the huge lineup of great names they've got as exhibitors. Um, and obviously to claim your free pass. There's a lot of free CPD in offer for attending that event. And if you want more information on the event, it's, as I said, at the NEC in Birmingham on the 27th and 28th of April next year now. And you just go to www.healthandsafetyevent.com. But 19 Group weren't the only major exhibition organiser to announce a date change. Informer, which owns Safety Health Expo, which takes place in London, Excel, has also announced it will no longer be running in September and it's moving to the 18th and 20th of May next year. So they again had originally planned to run May this year, got moved to September and now it's back there. So as you can see, for those exhibition organizers, 19 Group and Informa, that's an entire year without you know any events in the market for health and safety. So let's move on to our next news story. And, and this is pretty sombre reading again and the news on this one that I wrote up was one in four serious incidents in the UK occur in the workplace apparently. This is new research carried out by Fletcher's Serious Injury and they've said new research into injury incidents in the UK has revealed that a shocking proportion of the population has suffered a severe injury at work within the last five years. This research just for some clarity was carried out between a thousand adults across the UK and it revealed that nearly 28 had, percent who had suffered a serious injury within that time frame such as spinal injuries, burns, damages from slips, trips, and falls sustained this incident in the workplace. The findings also revealed that many of these people who'd suffered an injury weren't willing to look or make a claim for compensation um, and that was about a fifth. So 19.1% said they would not and have not been pursuing a claim against serious injury. But a bit more research was done into that about what the reluctance was. About one in eight respondents, that's 12%, said that the reason for it is they would be worried about incurring backlash from their employer and having their career prospects damaged by claiming for a workplace incident. You know, ad- additional questions into that. Um, talked about the other motivations for not pursuing a claim and 41% said they wouldn't know how to pursue a legal claim and according to Fletcher's serious injury this points to a potential shortfall in employers making their employees aware of their legal rights and ensuring that they have the correct legal documentation such as a detailed employee handbook, health and safety manuals in place. Apparently men were also revealed to be more at risk from injury than women with one third of men in that survey having suffered a serious injury at work, compared to only 18% in women. Young men here would find us aged 35, up sorry, up to 35, were even more severely affected, with almost 6 in 10 having experienced some form of injury. So, some really interesting statistics. I'm, I'm not sure it's altogether surprising that the majority of major injuries happen at work. If you work in a high-risk job, um, or you work up, height it's probably not surprising you're more likely to get an injury there than you know in your everyday life but that being said let's not take away from you know how serious that statistic is it's 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 across a thousand adults and no one should go to work and come home injured everyone has a right like the old hse campaign of um, from farming you have the right to come home safe and Health and safety injuries in the UK have been on a steady decline for the last decade. But those statistics there, still plenty of people are getting seriously injured. And, and sadly, we cover this all the time in HSM through our prosecutions section. Serious injuries are still happening. The most likely cause of a serious injury is still work at height. So... It's something that we all have a responsibility as employers, um, or if if you're managing people, you're responsible for health and safety, we all have a responsibility to make sure that workplaces are safe, proper protections are in place. You know, I I am forever seeing prosecutions to the HSC, what feels like the most regular prosecution of people having limbs drawn into inadequately guarded machines. This has just got to stop. There is no shortcuts to safety here. Proper risk assessments need to be carried out to make sure people are protected. And that's what the HSE is proactively inspecting for and doing prosecutions. So if you're a health and safety manager, I'm sure, you know, you'll find it useful reading the prosecutions on our website, which is hsmsearch.com. You might see similar situations to your workplace use it as a learning tool and we want to really see a decrease in the amount of injuries moving forwards so i want to now introduce my first guest for this week's podcast i'm delighted that i was joined from nathan shipley who is the pp group certification manager at bsi the british standards institute I sat down with Nathan earlier, and we talked in depth about what BSI has been doing to ensure only adequate PPEs entering the market during this COVID-19 pandemic. I sat down with him earlier today, and here's what he had to say. Morning, Nathan, how are
1: you? I'm fine, thank you, yourself
0: Yeah, I'm great, thanks. Thanks for joining us today. We really wanted to get BSI involved in this. So let's talk about how BSI are coping during COVID nineteen. How are BSI finding companies reacting to COVID nineteen in terms of, you know, types of the new companies asking for testing?
1: Well we've seen a massive increase in our PPE testing and certification services over the last sort of three months or so. Um, We've seen sort of everything from traditional manufacturers bringing in uh, new and adaptive products uh, for use by healthcare professionals under the COVID-19 scenario and we've also seen a lot of new manufacturers coming onto the market. Um, These are including people from the Far East bringing in things like face masks and we've also seen people that we would never normally be dealing with such as uh, academic uh, Um, colleges and universities producing things like face screens. So we've seen a massive really wide spectrum of new type of uh, manufacturers coming in uh, to produce PPE for uh, healthcare professionals.
0: So I just want to ask you for a a differential if that's all right. So COVID-19 certificates versus full PPE regulation, what's the difference between these two?
1: So, we are issuing out um, things like Module B certificates for product uh, under the PPE regulation and for new manufacturers that are making complex PPE we're issuing out Module C2 for ongoing surveillance through through product testing. Um, We have made some caveats within the certifications that we are issuing in that we do um, restrict them for the use by healthcare professionals as per the recommendation 403 and we've also put a limited um, validity of the certificates for 12 months as opposed to the normal three or five years that'll be on on the normal module B type certificate. So that's the kind of changes that we have made to those types of certifications that we've been issuing from BSI.
0: So what type of work is BSI doing for the COVID-19 situation? So let's talk about things like the type of products, technical specifications or certifications.
1: Okay, so I think the main product areas that we've been dealing with are um, face masks, face shields, and also medical clothing and gowns. We haven't seen a great deal in the way of gloves. Um, We are a notified body for gloves, but we haven't seen a great deal. I think one of the reasons is that the glove industry is pretty well much geared up for high volume manufacturing anyway. Um, If you go into a hospital environment, people are changing gloves all over the place. So they're probably better stated for um, uh, for, for the rapid turnaround that's being required. Um, What we have done is we at the beginning of this pandemic is we did come up with some technical specifications uh, based on standards like EM166 for the face shields and EM149 for the face masks. What we did do is we stripped off all the industrial type applications within those standards and we put those on our website as technical specifications that we'll be happy to to certify to. So we've seen a lot of work going to our laboratories internally, uh, testing a lot of face masks and face shields. And we've also been working with some of our partner subcontracting labs for the um, issuing out and the the testing of um, clothing and gowns. And then from a certification perspective, we've been doing a lot of Module B and Module C2 certificates under the PPE reg uh, for those products uh, to show that they meet the essential health and safety requirements of the regulation.
0: So it's not very often we get to talk to people involved in uh, testing and standards. So what are the typical issues that you come across with new products that enter the market? So, you know, for example, typical failures of various products or the biggest challenges for new manufacturers?
1: I think the biggest challenges so far have been with the face masks is the filter penetration. Um, So we've been incorporating oil penetration, which is um, quite, you know, quite an arduous test for uh, face masks to go through and we've been seeing around about an 80-85 percent failure rate uh, with some of the masks that we've been seeing coming through so i think that's been probably one of the key challenges for the face masks that uh, that have been coming through with regards to the face screens um, the failure rate is around about 25-26 percent and one of the predominant failure reasons for that is the natural protection area and and the area coverage so we've incorporated within our technical specification liquid splash, which means you have to have a certain rectangle uh, covered within the, um, you know, by the face screen. And we're finding quite a high number of those are failing at uh, those types of clauses. So uh, I suppose for each product that we're testing internally, that's probably the key failure rate that we're getting there.
0: Now, I know you work closely with the British Safety Industry Federation, as do we, and one of the big things that they pushed out and we've supported is their concerns about faith certificates or just non-compliant PP getting into the market. And Alan Murray, the CEO over there, said on a webinar we did, that since the start of the year, over 20,000 companies, more than 20,000 companies have been created in China they have got the word mask in their name. H- huge concern, I'm sure, for you as well. So when we talk about this industry issue, such as fake certificates, how do you verify a fake certificate? It's the first question I thought for you. And, and what do you do if someone suspects a certificate is fake?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, we saw an awful high number, Um, certainly towards the beginning of April, end of March. We were seeing dozens upon dozens a day of um, counterfeit certificates. Some were very good and very difficult to spot. Other ones were quite obvious. Um, Some were using our name in their own kind of rights. And um, sort of playing on our sort of intellectual property. So we were seeing literally hundreds, you know hundreds and hundreds of certificates at the beginning of this pandemic of people using BSI certificates. And one of the problems is that a lot of manufacturers do put these out on the websites. So if you go to a manufacturer's, they'll have a you know part of their website um, copies of certificates. To prove that those products have met the um, you know met met the requirements of the PPE regulation, and people are downloading those and altering them, uh, altering test reports and all sorts of things. So we had absolutely inundated with these certificates. Now, for a BSI certificate, there are a number of different ways that you can check to see if it's valid. Um, the first way is if they give uh, all our certificates are electronic and at the footer, there is a blue, you can check this online um, type hyperlink within the PDF version. And if you click on that one, it should take you straight away to a BSI website and then that should give you the name of the address uh, the certificate holder and when it was issued and when it's valid to, and that's a good way of checking to see whether that um, that certificate is valid. What we do find is because some of the certificates have been scanned, that hyperlink doesn't work. So we have a, um, a thing called Verify on the BSI website, and you could put the C certificate number in there, and that again will give you the provide you with the details as to who the certificate holder is, when it was issued, and when it's valid to. If you're still struggling with those two routes, then you can send an email to our customer services and we can have a look at it internally if there's no joy there. Um, So there's basically three routes that you can validate whether a certificate's valid or not. Um, I think if a certificate's not valid, um, we we don't physically police the system, although we are actively pursuing a lot of these fraudulent certificates, um, both from our UK office and also our other offices throughout the world. But I think if you are presented with a, uh, a fake certificate, it's basically a big no-no. Um, so walk away from the offer um, that's been provided. You've done your due diligence. And I would suggest that you do this due diligence before making any commercial transaction. Um, don't wait until you've got those masks or face shields or whatever it is in, the, in, in your warehouse. Um, make sure that they, you, know, you do your due, due diligence on front.
0: So what's the industry doing to help promote this concern. I know the BSIF, the British Safety Industry Federation, as we talked about earlier, have got their Registered Safety Supplier Scheme, but what else is the industry doing to um, raise more awareness about this?
1: I think basically what we're looking for is, um, is is trying to make people aware that there are these fake certificates being circulated and showing people what the tools are to validate those certificates. Um, as I say, there's been a lot of people that have entered the PPE industry uh, with no previous backgrounds and, and, and no sort of pedigree as it were. Um, so it's really sort of making sure people are aware of the tools that they can use and uh, make sure that you know if they're making any purchases, they're making it in good faith and that any Certifications are valid, um, and do you do the divisions up front and do that first? Don't you know, sort of buy in haste, repent at leisure kind of thing.
0: So, if we talk about the PPE sector as a whole now, how do you see the PPE industry moving forward short term and more in the longer term? What's the new normal going to be with PPE, in your opinion?
1: Uh, I think there's going to be a big change. I think one of the things that we are going to see is the things of uh, like the use of face masks a lot more common, uh, generally. Uh, so we're going to be walking around, and you know people are going to be wearing face masks in the street. There is a CEN project at the moment where they're looking to make public face coverings as a um, specification and outlaying some pass-fail criteria, but even though these types of products aren't technically PPE or medical devices, um, they are coming up with some form of standardisation to cover those types of products. Uh, And each member uh, member states are coming up with quite a bit as well, so the Germans have got a specification as well as the French and there's a few others scattered around Europe. face coverings are probably going to be um, a lot more sort of prevalent uh, going forwards. And even though they're not technically classed as personal protective equipment, I think they're probably going to be the go-to industry that does sort of supply those and, and, and monitor those um, as, as an industry. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more in the way of healthcare type PPE. Um, so you're looking at things like face shields that don't necessarily offer mechanical protection because that's not a risk in those types of environments. Um, so we're going to probably see a lot more in the way of... Um, PPE that's designed for healthcare professionals going forward. So I think we're in a bit of a, um, a sort of crossroads here, where we're going to see not only just the industrial applications being um, processed as normal, but I think we're going to see a lot more avenues or other type of standards being written uh, to cover other areas that don't currently uh, have PPE or any type of personal protection equipment in its uh, normal day to day life.
0: What about the impact of the removal of temporary fast-tracking of
1: PPE? I think the fast-tracking is almost coming to the end of its life in that, you know, um, the crises that we had at the beginning of April, the end of March, it's still not brilliant, and it's a little bit hand by mouth. But at least there is a supply coming in, um, so I think perhaps the four hundred three may have you know sort of done its job. How long it goes on for, I don't know, um, but I, I think it was the fix that was needed in the short term, and it, as I say, it seems to have made a you know a massive. And we have been sort of dealing with the um, military at Daventry and sort of um, you know, sort of hearing how they're getting on with being able to supply. And it's almost like I suppose at the moment it's almost a just-in-time type approach in that they've, you know, there's enough to go, but uh, there's certainly some mileage in, in carrying out the fast-track process for you know, a couple of months longer. Certainly.
0: And just closing out. If people want to get in touch with you have got any questions or any concerns what's the best way to get in touch with bsi
1: yeah so we've got a website um we've got the product dot certification at bsigroup.com email um which you can email some uh, you know questions about uh, we have a vast number of collateral on the BSI website for COVID-19 technical specifications and also you know, the traditional PPE type um, certifications that we offer. Um, so we have a, a vast amount of information on there. You can leave messages on there, which will get picked up. Um, so yeah, visit the BSI website and you can, uh, you can uh, pursue any further questions you have on there.
0: Nathan, thanks for joining us today. Really, really appreciate it. it was a Great insight.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks.
0: So now it's time to return our attention to the news. And I want to go on a fire safety related story. And for those of you that don't know, we actually have a sister podcast for our sister publication, Fire Safety Matters Magazine. And I, I co host that with Brian Sims, who's the editor. And again, if you want to listen to the FSM podcast, which is out fortnightly, just type Fire Safety Matters into iTunes, Spotify, Google Play or YouTube and it will pop up. Or of course you can go to the FS Matters website, which is fsmatters.com. Anyway, let's turn to attention to the news here. So it would be remiss of us not to cover the Grenfell Tower tragedy again. It's the three year anniversary uh, just a couple of weeks back and the National Fire Chiefs Council has given its view on how things have moved on since then. The NFCC, so that's for short, the National Fire Chiefs Council, has said it's frustrated at the number of unsafe buildings that still remain in the UK. So to mark the third anniversary of the Grenfell Tire Fire, the NFCC has expressed concerns about the amount of unsafe premises that's still in the UK. Now, the NFCC has welcomed the additional 1 billion government funding for the removal of cladding, but it warns the cost should not be a barrier to people's safety, and if necessary, this fund should be increased. A recent select committee highlighted that the removal of dangerous cladding would cost more than £1 More than £1 is in the fund, in fact. NFCC Chair Roy Wilshire has repeatedly said that this is wholly unacceptable and that people are still living dangerously through really dangerously clad buildings. In some cases, building owners are not doing enough to support residents, with some leaseholders paying unacceptable fees for safety measures, which meant they're only temporary. The NFCC has made it clear the government needs to do more and that while some progress has been made, change hasn't happened quickly enough, in its opinion. Fundamentally, reform needs to happen on building safety, it says, and it must happen much faster than it's currently doing, and the government should commit to a clear timetable and a date for the removal of cladding from all buildings where it's unsafe. The government has recently said there was an ambition for the removal of this cladding at all sites to begin by the end of the year but this time no deadline for this completion has been committed to by the government. In fact Roy Wilshire has commented saying we want people to feel safe in their homes through better legislation, regulation and clear lines of responsibility. We need to make sure we do not see another tragedy like the Grenfell Tower tragedy unfold again. So this is a pretty easy one to us to understand. I know everybody would have been just shocked three years ago to uh, the devastating fire that happened at, at Grenfell. It was, it, it was just shocking viewing. You could see a whole building, so many, so many deaths. In all honesty, for those of us that have worked in and around the fire set, it wasn't altogether unsurprising. It, it, we will, there's been lack a house fire before it. There is so many things that still need to be addressed. And, you know, Judith Hackett, Dame Judith Hackett, has done review of the building regs and fire safety in the UK. And the government has announced this one billion fund. But there are plenty of estimates to say that it's going to take more than that one billion. And that's certainly the view of Roy Wilshire. So it's a timely reminder to mark that three-year anniversary of the tragedy that more still needs to be done to prevent another incident like this happening. Of course, the Grenfell Tower inquiry still goes on, which seems likely to lead to criminal prosecutions at the end of it. That will be completed by the end of this year. So it's something to think about. There's still a lot of work to be done, that's for sure. And, you know, we'll keep revisiting this as and when the inquiry wraps itself up over the next six months. And of course, how how this fund gets allocated. So another story I want to go on to, the final one for the day. It's not so much a story, but I kind of need your help, your feedback. So HSM is actually doing a survey. We need feedback on the state of the PPE market. It's very timely this, We do an annual PPE Insights Guide that will go out with the October issue of Health and Safety Matters. And currently we're seeking your views through through a survey. And this is especially in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. The survey is being conducted in partnership with Bunzel Greenham and the results, as I said, will be forming part of the PPE Insight Guide. We'll only do about a five or six page write-up on the results of these and it'll help really play an important part in shaping the future of the PPE market as we move forwards. It'll only take you a couple of minutes to, to fill in the survey. And to encourage you to take part in this, there is if you if you, you can do it anonymously, but if you don't do it anonymously, then you can go into a prize draw for receiving a hundred pound of Amazon vouchers. The closing deadline for responses is the thirty first of July, and as I said, the results will be published in great detail over many pages on our website and the PP Insights guide. This is a really key time to get views everything from supply chain issues, or how you consider buying PPE, what kind of PPE you need, um, and standards of PP, and get grasp your understanding of it. So please do take part in this. This is something that. The british safety industry federation and we take very seriously every year and, and really helps the bsif look at the feedback of this so it can help look at its position and best representing the safety market in terms of ppe so if you could take part i'd really appreciate it you're You can take part in the survey. You can go to our website. You'll find it um, if you go to hsmsearch.com. If you look through social media, we'll be doing tweets on the HSM Twitter account. But if you've got a couple of seconds now to jot it down, I will give you the direct link to the survey itself, which is www.surveymonkey.co.uk forward slash the letter R forward slash eight D for Delta, W for Whiskey, X, 7, D for Delta, R for Roger. So, of course, you don't have to note that down and you can go to our website and we'll be sending out direct emails to everybody to encourage you to take part in it. But listen, you've got a chance to win a 100% Amazon voucher, but actually, more importantly, you've got a real chance to help us and help the PSIF and Bunzel Greenham really get a good idea from your feedback if you're understanding the market and where changes need to be made. So please do take part in that. I'd really, really appreciate it. So I now want to move on to our final guest for today. Um, delighted to sit down with Shaw City Managing Director, Neil O'Regan, who I've known for a long time. Shore City uh, is an excellent firm. It's based in Oxfordshire. And i sat down talking about a number of issues with neil about how they've coped during the current um pandemic but also asked him what's next what's the next major innovation needed for monitoring technology
2: morning neil how are you yeah morning mac very well thanks and you
0: yeah, great. Well, thanks for joining us, which, you know, different times, obviously, for us. I, obviously, first question for you, then, how are you holding up during this pandemic? Yeah, no, no,
2: It's uh, it's been a really strange time over the last couple of months. You know, I guess like most people, um, you know, certain parts of the business are have been really strong, um, and then other parts have really suffered. So, you know, it was a big impact on the team. Um, We've had over 50% working from home, um, and that's been a difficult transition as well. We... You we know, hadn't fully prepared for something like that, um, and with the speed. But also, I think is you know we really enjoyed each other's company. Uh, we had a lovely dynamic in the office, so really it's been counteracting that isolation from working at home. And, and then you know it has been a big, big challenge for the management team. So th- there's been lots of new challenges that uh, you know we hadn't quite anticipated. So yeah so it's just been balancing all of those of course all of our product specialist managers have now been you know stuck at home for months and, and that's not what they're used to they they love being out about seeing clients seeing customers and um, hand-holding training and um, you know all the the product expertise so um yeah it's been difficult um and yeah and then i think really it's it's about just trying to change this new world of of uh, you know virtual everything it's it's draining but, it's that's what it's like for everybody so it's it, it, every day is a new challenge and we're we're smiling which i think makes a big difference um, but yeah it would be nice to to see people in the flesh again i guess well
0: it's always been one of the strengths that we've seen from shore city really positive people easy to get along with and easy to engage with but you know everybody that will be listening to this podcast is familiar with shore city so can you tell us a bit more about the company and what products you've released in recent months Um, Yeah, so uh, a UK company um, involved in in distribution of, um, I guess, high-end technology. So we we work across health and safety, occupational hygiene and and environmental um, applications. Uh, And really it's about
2: measuring anything that's airborne. So noise, sound, vibration, air quality and, and gas detection. I guess with all of COVID, so anything to do with the world of respirable um, and air quality. Um, so that's fit testing of, of masks and, and then obviously just on to pure air quality. So looking at, at low level particulates as well. Um, in terms of technology, um, you know, we've actually been we've been lucky. So we work with some very um, you know, high end manufacturers uh, and they've brought some really good, clever um, products into market. So we've had a new product called, uh, the the FitCheck from, um, uh, it's a new Fit Check product called Quanticheck from OHD. Um, and this really, it's about, it's almost like doing a daily bump test of a gas detector. It's just using that on um, um, a reusable mask. So whether that's a half mask or a full face mask. And it's about really having a, a quantitative means of knowing that that mask is fitting you correctly. It's a, a bit of a subjective one in the past is that you would do almost like a breathe down test this gives you a, a, a green light, red light to indicate whether the mask is working correctly or not. We've also had some new gas detectors from Honeywell. Um, so we've had a new area monitor called the Rig Ras. Again, so this is one we've been waiting for for some time. Absolutely. Really clever. So it's you know it's, it's a multi-gas area monitor, so it can measure six, seven different gases and then feed all that back in, in a number of different ways. So whether it's a cloud-based, whether you're, you're having kind of real-time information it's a it's a real real good um, clever product, and also they've launched a, a new multi gas product um, which is called the it's the BW Icon so following on from the BW product range um, but it's Icon driven and that's new to market, which it just
1: just launched. Uh, only been around for a couple of weeks, so we're really looking forward to to showing that out to the market and,
2: and getting feedback. And TSI have also launched a, another new product called Blue Sky again area sorry uh, dust monitoring. Um, or an area, but it's it's giving you an air quality index. So a real clear, easy indication is the air quality of the environment that you're working in. Cloud based system as well, so all out in the clouds um, and you can just log in and, and see loads of information in real time, so real clever stuff. And our job of course, is just to bring all of that to market. Help the market to understand what's out there, what's available, how to use it, what's right for application. Um, and actually what's wrong for application because not every product is right um, and it's been, been clear about that.
0: So you've only been a little bit busy in recent months then with innovation and um, you know, obviously you guys lead the way in terms of innovation, you've come up with three or four different new products there that you brought to market but when we're talking about innovation, what do you think Neil, is the next major innovation needed for monitoring technology?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think one of the major things that we've learned over you know the past few months with with the COVID nineteen situation is, it's just awareness. You know, we do this every single day, and, and all of a sudden it's been brought right to the forefront of you know it's the unknown dangers. We can't see this ill uh, this virus. It's it's difficult to detect this, and all of a sudden when it comes to you know to innovation, it it's almost it's that level of how do I detect the, the unseen, the unknown? So I don't think there's one kind of clear product that needs to be produced and come out in the market. It's much more about the awareness of what's already there, what already exists and how we use it. And I think a lot of people are aware that you know, health and safety, it's, it's not about the slips and the trips and all of those. That That's a part of health and safety. But it's much more along the lines of actually what's in the environment, what's in the atmosphere, what are we being exposed to that we're not really aware of. And now it's an understanding what do we need to do to try and protect ourselves from this so really in major innovation it's probably what have we already got and how can we use it to help us in the current climate and going forward because you know this isn't the end of it you know we're going to have other other viruses or other new things that will happen in the market that are going to change how we how we view it so so that we might my take on it
0: so what do you think is the biggest issue facing um, the health and safety sector moving forward? Or, or in fact, you can relate that if you want to, to more of your part of the market, the monitoring technology side.
2: Yeah, there's a couple of things, really. So in, in a sense, everything happened really quickly. Lots of decisions were made based on, you know, kind of, let's protect the health of individuals. Um, and therefore, you know, things were shut Closed, stopped really rapidly and all of a sudden we now have to go back in and start uh, starting some of those processes but returning people back to the workplace so a real big issue is going to be you know is it safe to do that um so it's not just a matter of opening the door and, and welcoming people back in It's are the instruments the technology that we have used are they working correctly because sometimes they're used in life-saving environments and if it's not working you know, we're now trusting people who have spent months isolating and protecting themselves. The last thing we want to do is, is actually put them in danger because the technology, the instruments they're using are not you know, calibrated, they've not been maintained, they've not been serviced, or they're just not accurate enough. You know, they're giving you an indication, but that indication is just it's a little too late. Um, and unfortunately, the damage is done by the time you realize it. And another thing that you know we've experienced it, it's a little lack of, of knowledge maybe in the industry. So people who would be on the shop floor, who'd be walking around, who who can just view and see things differently. They've been doing it for a number of years. Their expertise is being able to see something before it even happens. And another they're based at home. They're they're at home homeschooling. They're at home doing what they have to do. Maybe it's looking after other people. Um, and somebody else's responsibility has been passed across and it's just it's that level of where there's a little uncertainty that uncertainty could lead to something which is is going to be a much bigger issue so so it's it's not just about product it's about you know the the people involved as well and the skills and the knowledge that has been I, i guess attained over many many years and it's, it's just trying to to balance all of those, you know. A risk assessment in, in the good old days, if we go back to you know back to the start of the year, a risk assessment was okay, right? I know what I'm doing. Now the risk assessment is a very different, uh, very different thing completely. So, so there's there's a lot, but you know, thankfully there's there's great companies out there who really know what they're talking about, um, and it's it's really working with people who you know and trust. You know, it, it stick with those people who who you've always trusted in. Don't cut corners don't try and save a couple of pounds because it, it feels like we have to cut corners and save money. It's actually, you know, we've got to save life. That's the most important thing. Protect life, save life. That, that for me is the key.
0: Well, you obviously shared with us a number of innovations you've done over the last few months and knowing you guys as, as I do, I'm sure this will be a period of time when you've gone back to being even more creative. So can I ask what's next in the product pipeline for Shore City?
2: Well, it, it's a secret, Mark. I could never give that away at this stage. Um, as I said, you know, we're in the game of distribution, so we're, we're reliant on manufacturers giving us some new technology. Um, all the new stuff is out there. There are certainly stuff in the pipeline. It's possibly just a couple of weeks too early to start uh, to telling the world about it because we're just not ready and the manufacturers are not ready. But there's certainly stuff coming. We have got a, our monthly newsletter, which is called Detection, that tends to give updates on what's coming. We often trip feed a little bit just to... To, to let the audience know what's what's on the way, but yeah, so so keep an eye out for for the monthly newsletter from Shaw City. It's uh, there's some good stuff coming.
0: Yeah, and we're, we're going to had to get in touch with you, and but but obviously, as we said earlier, there's been a lot of innovations that you guys have done thanks to you know the manufacturers um, using you guys. So this is probably the right time to ask if people want to find out more information about Shaw City and how can they sign up to that newsletter. What's the best way to get in touch with you guys?
2: Yeah, uh, so all the normal channels, um, we, we use social media a lot. So, you know, we're on LinkedIn, um, Twitter. Of course, we've got our website. So, uh, you know, it's Shawcity.co.uk. You know, I'd love to say we're going to be at loads of exhibitions this year, but it, it, it feels like the exhibition market is, is you know, it's going to be difficult this year. But you know, the sales guys are out the about, jump onto our website, give us a call and uh, or look out for us on social media. Hopefully, most people know of us, but if not, it's ShawCity. dot uk. Neil, yeah,
0: it was always great to speak to you, my friend. Thanks for your time. No worries, Mark. Absolute pleasure. And that's all we've got time for in this edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to our sponsors, the Health and Safety Event, which, as we announced earlier, is moving to April 2021 for its next show in the NEC in Birmingham. If you've registered already, your ticket's still valid to go. But actually, you can still register for free. Just go to the Health and Safety Event website, which is healthandsafetyevent.com. Now, please do share and like this podcast. Give us a good rating and feedback on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, however you do it. Please also encourage your colleagues and friends to download the podcast. It comes out every fortnight on a Monday. In the meantime, if you're looking for the latest health and safety news, please do go to the HSM website, which is www.hsmsearch.com. Dot com. And as I mentioned on our news story early, we'd really appreciate it if you took part in our PPE insight survey to give us a really great understanding of your needs for PPE and how they're changing. So please do go to our website and take part in that, and you'll have the opportunity to win a £100 Amazon voucher if you share your details, otherwise you can do it anonymously. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you for joining us today, we look forward to seeing you next time on the Health and ZD Matters podcast.